And God, that is our prayer right now as we continue uh, this morning and in our worship of you that we ask, we just want you to take our hearts, Lord, guard our hearts, protect our hearts. We come here today, some with light loads, some with heavy loads, but God, we know we all are invited uh, before your throne and we thank you for that. So we give you our hearts now in this time, in your name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you. Hey, I want you to take a moment, turn to the person next to you, introduce yourself, and tell them what is one thing that you stress out about that maybe you shouldn't. All right. Some of you are stressed out people. You have a lot to say. It's amazing. It was just one thing was all you were supposed to talk about. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. We are uh, continuing our series this morning in the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 4. I want to invite you to open your Bibles there. And uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. And if any of you prefer to use... Uh, your phone or a tablet, you're always welcome to use a digital version. And as well as if you don't have your own Bible, we have them available in the back of the room on the tables. And uh, you are welcome to use one of those. And if you don't have one, take it. It is our gift to you. We'd love for you to have one of those today. So this morning we are uh, talking about, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And one of the themes that has popped up over and over and over again throughout the book of Philippians is this concept of having your life in Christ. Over and over again, Paul is writing to this group of Christians in this, uh, this new gathering. They're all pretty much new in their faith. And he's writing to them, and he keeps using the phrase, in the Lord, or in Christ. And, and over and over again, the theme is to find your identity, to find your purpose, to find your life wrapped up in Christ. And that would be as opposed to in your circumstances, and it's from the very beginning, Paul is actually writing this letter from in prison. So he has some street cred to say this. And so he's saying, hey, it's not about the circumstances. It's not about what's happening to you currently. It's your life is wrapped up in Christ. So therefore, you can rejoice in the Lord when your life is, and find your identity, your purpose, all of those things in Jesus. And, and so today, as we've been studying through this, chapter 4 gets very practical, I think, on a few levels. Last week, as we looked at how we find this kind of joy and peace and rejoicing in the Lord, um, is a theme that comes up, but some practical examples come up. Last week, one of the examples was, hey, it, it, Paul was urging a couple people to, hey, get along with one another in harmony. Learn to live together in harmony. And, and again, when you're caught up in your circumstances, that becomes more difficult. But when you find your identity, not in how you measure up or how you compare to someone else, but in Christ, you are able to live in harmony and let your gentleness be made known to all. Now this week, verse 6 and 7 is what we're going to look at. And Paul jumps to another very practical idea that obviously was something that the people in Philippi were dealing with. He talks about anxiousness. 
And he starts off and says, be anxious for nothing. He's talking about worry and, and anxiety and all of those things, which we know in our world, this is a very common thing that we go through throughout the week. In fact, just look around at the self-help industry and how many books are written and how you can have a better life, how you can have purpose, how you can look within and, and, and find strength. The self-help industry is this growing, constantly growing and flourishing industry, which we asked a question this last week in one of our conversation was, if the self-help industry was working, why was it, is it so successful? But Paul is getting to a point here today in verse 6 and 7 where he talks about something that people are trying to deal with and that is that idea of anxiety or worry. Um, anxiousness is one of those things. In fact, the, the definition here of anxiousness is it's a state of apprehension, uncertainty, and fear resulting from the anticipation of a realistic, or get this, or a fantasized threatening event or situation. So that anxiety we feel is the fear, the uncertainty, or apprehension of something that might happen. And is in often the case with many of us, it's something that never does happen. But it's we allow our mind to go down there, down the trail. And, and, and so Paul is talking today a little bit about this idea of anxiousness and troubles that we face. In fact, Mark Twain, at the end of his days, wrote this. He said, I'm an old man, and I've known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. <laughs> I think that many of us can relate, can we not? So today we want to look at what can Scripture tell us, and what can we learn from Scripture that gives us the wisdom that we need and how we can deal with these situations and, and anxiousness and worry and, and how we can turn actually to Christ and looking at our life in Him and finding everything in Jesus in those situations. So we'll deal with that in just a moment. But pray with me before we get into the text. God, we thank you for today. And uh, we give you this time. And we come here today, some of us, with, as we mentioned earlier, with very light loads. And some are coming with very heavy issues. And, and Lord, we want to be a people who don't treat those as if they don't matter, but that we understand more and more that we can keep coming to you as our loving Father with big and small issues. And so God, we thank you for that. I pray now that you would teach us all in this place that we can learn more about who you are and who we are. So we give you this time. Amen. So this last week, um, this is one of those weeks when, when you have to teach a passage, uh, well, I'm always looking for practical examples. You know, we want to make it real life. But some weeks, God through his providence wants to be funny and really make it applicable. And so when you get to something like be anxious for nothing, you can bet that there's going to be some times to practice this throughout the week. So it is a little bit of a superficial example, but as many of you know, I'm a coach of a baseball team of the Encinitas Little League All-Star team, and we've been in this tournament and making it a couple steps down the road. And in fact, last week on Thursday night, we actually won the state championship, which is pretty cool. A little Encinitas, yeah. And I head out tomorrow morning for San Jose to play um, in the Western Regional. Our first game's against Hawaii. So um, yeah, I know, Hawaii. And so, um, but, but uh, this process has been one of those processes where God has said, hey, let's practice this verse. 
Let's practice what it means to be anxious for nothing. Now, we knew we had a pretty good team. When we put it together, we said, hey, this team this year could probably do some things. And, and we even played some teams that we knew, looking at the teams, we said, this is not going to be a difficult game. But of course, you still have to play. But going into the game, even the games I said, hey, we should have this one. This should be pretty easy as long as we don't do something super stupid. Still, going into it, I was so nervous and anxious about everything. The worst part was when you had like three games before the next day, or three days before the next game. It's the worst. I had to wait for it. And I got to live out this definition of anxiety, which is the fear or apprehension of a potential outcome, realistic or fantasized. <laughs> and I would think, well, what if this happens and this happens? And, and I kept re- reminding myself, like, it doesn't matter. It's just baseball. Who cares? If we're done, then we can go on vacation. It's fine. And... and <laughs> But still, I would wake up early in the day or wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be thinking about baseball. I'm like, oh Lord, I shouldn't be thinking about baseball. I should be thinking about something spiritual. But I, I'm wondering about who's pitching today. And so, and I kept wrestling with this. And then I got to really getting into the, the uh, pre- preparation for this passage. And so God this week was just pounding on me saying, practice this. Practice what you're about to teach. So I'm telling you all of this, and I know that this is a small issue. It's it's anticipating a baseball game. But I had to wrestle with this a lot this week and had to be reminded time and time again. And I think there's some great truths that God kind of kept revealing to me that are useful for all of us here today. And um, I am not anxious for our game on Tuesday. Um, But if I do become anxious, I know what to do, and I'm going to tell you what to do in just a moment. So here's what we do. <laughs> so let's look at the text. He starts off in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Paul is writing to the, the group of Christians. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you, when you experience worry and and anxiety, would love to rather experience the peace of God (laughs) that guards our hearts and minds? Yeah, that is something that, that is something the world is trying to find. And so we want to explore, what does this mean? Now, before we even get started, let me just say this. This passage is not one of those Christianese passages where if you come with a real issue, we just say, hey, be anxious for nothing, but everything in prayer, you'll be fine. We're not telling you to take a deep breath and everything will be all right. And I don't believe that's what Paul's saying either. We, we come to God, we have real issues, real concerns. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're major. You may have some real um, struggles with health issues or financial issues, relational issues might be something at work or maybe with a spouse. There's conflict. There's things like that. And the answer here is not, well, don't worry about it. Just don't be anxious for nothing. Some of you actually struggle and you have clinical right now anxiety maybe. Some of you have had to have medication to help stabilize and, and have gone to counseling and are going to counseling to maybe retrain and reprogram some of those brain pathways. This is not a passage that says you shouldn't have those issues, so get over it. You need to pray more. Now, I believe there's practical tools here that will help us. We're going to talk about it. But this is not minimizing our struggles, our fears, or our worries. This is how can we program and learn to have a response in the midst of those times. And there's times you are just going to need people to walk with you through your pain, through your struggles, through your worries. It's okay. 
And I don't think God wants to make this too simple. So I wanted to start off and say, this is, we're not trying to teach you to give really simple answers out there that don't connect with real life. But there is some tools here that do connect with real life that we want to look at. So let's look at this. So Paul begins and says, Be anxious for nothing but with everything, with prayer. There's a book written by an author named Sybil Macbeth. It's called Praying in Color. And she says this, Worry is not a substitute for prayer. Worry is a starting place, but not a staying place. Worry invites me into prayer. As a staying place, worry can be self-indulgent, paralyzing, draining, and controlling. But when I take worry into prayer, it doesn't disappear, but it becomes smaller. I really believe that for us this morning, what we're talking about is taking worry as a starting place, but not a staying place. That according to scripture, it's easy for us to have worry as a starting place, but I believe that Macbeth was right in what she says here, that when it's a staying place, it becomes very self-indulgent, draining, paralyzing, controlling. Life becomes all about us and, and only our situation and our circumstance and maybe even just the perceived possibilities become paralyzing when it's a staying place. And I believe that Paul would agree with Macbeth in saying we want worry to be a starting place, an invitation to prayer. And that's why he says when you feel that anxiousness, when that worry comes in, let's turn to God in prayer. And he begins and says, with prayer and supplication. Now I want to stop right there. Instead of anxious and worry, use that as a starting place when you feel those moments coming on to turn to God in prayer and supplication. Now this word for prayer is a unique word here and it actually is a posture of worship. So it's prayer as worship here. It's actually to prostrate yourself before God. I have to be really careful when I use that word. I know one letter off could be bad. But So prostrating yourself before God as a posture of prayer and worship. And that's how he begins and says, so when you feel that starting place of worry, turn your hearts to praise. Now, that's easier said than done. And I know there's moments when it's easier than others. But what's, what can we praise God for? I want to invite you to turn back to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, there's this kind of famous passage that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking, he has this long discourse about, about worry. And he picks it up in verse 25 of chapter 26. And, and he says, uh, verse 25 of chapter 6, sorry. He says, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or drink, nor for your body as what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he goes into this parallel and an analogy and says, look at the birds in the air. The birds don't get up and stress about where their food's going to come from, but they go out and find their food because they believe that the Father in heaven will provide for them. Move on, and he says, uh, look at the lilies in the field. In, in verse 28, why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon, who is known as one of the most... Uh, wealthy, majestic kings in all of Israel. I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed themselves like one of these lilies in the field. As he goes on, Jesus is speaking and he says, don't worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these same things, but your he and your heavenly Father knows what you need and he knows you need all these things. Verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. In verse 34, 
Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. So this whole passage, Jesus is talking about worry and, and how we approach him. And he uses the example of the birds in the air and the flowers in the field. Now, this is not a passage saying like, see, God will provide your food. So you don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. You, don't ha- you can just sit around and God will provide for you. That's not what this is saying. In fact, the birds in the air get up early and they go catch the worm. <laughs> they get up and go. But the, it's a posture of the birds to believe that they will be provided for by their creator. Jesus is saying the birds aren't stressed about it at night. Will God, really try, will God really care about me? Will he really be there for me? The birds believe. When I wake up tomorrow morning, I'll find what I need. It'll always be provided. He is example of a lily in the field. This is not about clothing, by the way. It's not, Jesus is not talking to a group of people that are worried about their fashion and their style. I, I, I have a hard time believing in first century, the disciples who were traveling with Jesus for three years were like, man, I really could use a new robe right about now. <laughs> Sandals are getting a little old. But, but he's talking about the lilies in the field are clothed in all their majesty. It's how they're unique, excuse me, uniquely created by God. They were comfortable being, I'm created fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And how I am is beautiful. This is enough. See, they're not looking at the tulips and saying, if only I could look like a tulip, then it would be better. Everyone likes tulips. Who likes lilies? I mean, you don't have that going on. The flowers of the field know that they're fearfully and wonderfully made by their creator. How many of you in here have worry and strife when you start looking at everybody else and say, God, if only you could have made me like them. If only I had the gifting that that person had. If only I was born into the family that they were born into. If only I had the opportunities that they did. God, if only this would be different. I wish you made me like the tulips. But Jesus says, why are you worried about that? Look at the lilies in the field. They stand before God and say, we trust that this is how God has made us for a purpose. And it's good. And so when Jesus talks about worry, he says, let's turn our hearts to the Creator And trust that what he gives is good. And so when we now go back to Philippians chapter 4. And Paul says be anxious for nothing but in everything. Begin with prayer and supplication. This posture of worship. What are the things that we can praise God for? And we think of the birds. We think of the lilies in the field. We say God you're you're good. God you provide for us. We thank you that you provide. We thank you that you're patient with us. That you give us second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And when I mess up tomorrow, I thank you that you've already forgiven that. That you're already in that place. So let's praise God and be thankful for his character, his qualities. Thank him for his love. Thank God for his kindness. He's kind to us. Thank him for his power. That he has the ability to help you in the time of need. See, when we pray and and praise God, our prayers turn our attention off the things that we want to control and they place the focus on the one who is over all things, even all the little things. We feel our burdens lighten when we recognize that we don't have to be the ones to do all the carrying. That's what prayer does. That's what praise does. When we can actually turn to God and say, God, I need you to take this and I thank you that you will. So praise you for this. John Ortberg Jr. said this, We tend to be preoccupied by our problems when we have a heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. But today, see each problem as an invitation to prayer. 
Can we be people who recognize when worry and anxiousness and problems pop up? That's an invitation to turn our hearts to praise in God. Now this week, again, it's a small matter. It really is. I'm not going to say... Coaching baseball is a big, major, life-changing thing. If we lose, we lose. That's, that's, at the end of the day, it will be okay. But I wrestled with God over this this week. Because as I'm preparing this message and trying to talk about, okay, God, turn to you in prayer, this, I kept feeling this anxiousness about the games that were coming up. And I kept thinking, God, I know you want me to turn to you in prayer and praise, but this isn't a big enough issue for me to do it. I can't turn to you with this because... I mean, you don't really care about the baseball game. You care about other things. There's people who have sickness and disease and who are hurting. Like, I'm playing a baseball game. I'm coaching a baseball game. I know you don't care about this. And the word, I just felt felt like God kept telling me, practice these verses. He said, turn your hearts to praise. Are you anxious right now? Well, yeah, I'm anxious, but it's a little thing. He says, are you anxious right now? Yes. Practice praise. And so I was able to turn my heart and say, God, you know, I want to just even thank you for this opportunity. Praise you that you're good. Praise you that you gave us this opportunity. Praise you that we beat the other teams we already beat so far. And pray, you know, and, and just all of those things to be able to have this really honest invitation to prayer. And part of it was my unbelief that God would actually care about me enough to listen to those that kept me from coming to him. And I think, oh, maybe you only care about the big issues. But he said, come to me in prayer. Now, it's easier to praise God when there's smaller issues. I, I want to recognize that some of you have gone through great tragedy. And some of you are still trying to figure out, God, what can I praise you about in the midst of tragedy? And maybe you've been wrestling that, with that for a long time. And we don't want to diminish it. It's not easy. It's not easy. And I know some of you are saying, I'm trying to find what to praise God for, but I'm struggling with it. Guess what? He's big enough to handle that. Still come to him. Say, I want to praise you, but I'm, try- I'm struggling with it right now, God. Because what I just went through, or what my family's going through, I, I, it's hard. I want to praise you, but you've got to be patient with me. Well, praise him that he is. And know that he's walking with the, you with it. So the first thing is, let's have a posture of prayer. The next thing he says, so with prayer and supplication, and then he says, with thanksgiving. I want to stop there, because I think this is very important. With thanksgiving. This is part of this kind of attitude we should have. What are the things that we can be thankful for? It's similar to what we're praising God for. The whole thing is just posture before the Lord. But thanksgiving, thank Him for what He has already done. I think uh, once you become a parent, you realize how many things you can actually worry about. And, And if anyone in here has been a parent, you realize that. You know, you take home your baby for the first time, and the first time you set him down at night to go to sleep, and you're not in the room with them, you just, only thing you can think about is, oh, is he going to flip over on his side, or, you know, his SIDS, and will he wake up in the morning, and you kind of wake up in the morning, or you hear him cry in the middle of the night, and you're like, okay, whew, still alive. <laughs> and and it's, it's amazing the kind of things that you can think and worry about. And, and, but when we learn, I can go to God with thanksgiving, you can say, I thank you, God, with what you've done in my life to this point. I thank you for what you, you have helped us raise our kids. And then by the time we had one of our boys, when he was about, I think he was about 16 months old, and I looked back in the, he was in, in one of the flower beds in, the, in our back, kind of just playing in the dirt like all of our boys did. And, and he turned around and had this bright green stuff on him. And we're like, what the heck? And he was eating snails out of the garden for us. And <laughs> he was just helping out. You know, they eat the vegetables. And so... <laughs> 
But you look at that as a parent. Now, those of you who have never had kids, you think like, oh, is he still alive? You know, <laughs> truth is he's still alive and he never gets sick. I don't know why. But um, it's, it's the snail poison in him and stuff. It's made him really strong. But... <laughs> But you realize, you can look back and be thankful and say, God, you know what? You've brought us through a lot. You've gotten us through a long way. There's a lot I can be thankful for. But it's really easy to stop in the negative. It's very easy to, to, to forget about all that God has done and just think, but I need you one more time. I need you one more time. And so Paul reminds us, let's be thankful for what he's done. Let's, thankful for all, let's be thankful for his promises. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to walk with us. He promises that his strength is enough, that his grace is sufficient when we're weak, which we're all weak. He promises that he cares for us. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, I have it on the screen for you, is this. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't that amazing? Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. We can be thankful. God, thank you so much that you care about us. You know, I studied all the ancient religions and I, I studied in Israel and studied all the different world religions and, and the history and archaeology and the writings. There are not many gods that people have created in history that actually care for you. There's one. It's the God of the Bible. The rest say, what are you going to do for me? There's no other faith that says, hey, if you're concerned, you're struggling, cast it on me. Come to me. And that's something to be thankful for. We have a God who cares. You know, even when sometimes people say, hey, you just use your Christianity as a crutch. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I've heard that before. Your faith is just a crutch. And I used to think, how do I defend that? What does that mean? And and the more I think about it is, well, if what you mean is that I believe in the creator of the universe and I believe that he cares about me and he loves me and he'll walk with me and has the power to overcome all things and in, in Christ I have a new identity and I have a hope that can be found in nothing else and I don't have to look within or to you for my identity and purpose and all that. If that is having a crutch, you're right, I do have a crutch and I'm so thankful that I have a crutch, a God who's there for me. You should take a crutch too. You're going to need it. Memorize that. Just say it next time someone says it to you. (laughs) They might even say, preach it, keep going. Or they'll turn around and walk away. I don't know. (laughs) Let's be thankful. Be thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know that the good news of Jesus isn't just that you're saved from your sins? That's great news. But the good news is that you have life in him today. That means you don't have to be in control of all things. It means you have a solution to your problems. You have an answer to your questions. The good news of Jesus means that you are his child and he loves you and cares about you. That is one thing that I really realized this week. I was reminded of the good news when I was saying, God, I know I can't come to you about a baseball game. And when he said, yeah, you can, and what he reminded me is, Ryan, what does the good news mean? I thought about it and said, well, you know, saved from the sins, you give me life. Well, what does that mean to give you life? Okay, well, I'm a child of God. Yeah. You've been rescued from the domain of darkness and you're now in the kingdom of light and I'm your father. And if you want to come to me, you can come to me. The good news is, is I want to hear from you. The good news is, if that matters to you, it matters to me. So come to me. And I kept thinking, maybe he doesn't care about this. And he said, I, I do, because it matters to you. And so it was so free to say the good news means I can approach you, God, and say I'm stressed about a baseball game. He said, yes, you can. Would you? And I felt this burden lifted as I said, as I realized it's okay to come to me. 
I think of my own kids. If they came to me with their requests and their worries, I wouldn't look at them and say, you know what, that's not a big deal. You're going to find one day that this doesn't matter, so don't even come to me. Oh, I know someone mistreated you, but don't worry about it. Five years from now, you'll be big enough to beat them up. I mean, I wouldn't say something. (laughs) Five years from now, you'll forget about that person. I could say that, so don't even tell me about those worries. Those don't matter. You're going to find one day those don't matter. I wouldn't say that. You know what I'd say? I'd say, you know, I'm really sorry. I hate when people treat you that way. It is going to be okay. And if you want me to beat them up, I will. But it's, it's going to be okay. But I want them to come to me. There's nothing so small that I would say, no, 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 don't bother me. So why do we think God says, no, don't bother me with that? When you get something a little more spiritual, then come to me. If you're his child, he loves you. He wants to hear. He wants to hear it. If it matters to you, it matters to him. That's good news, people. That is good news. So, with prayer and supplication, this posture of worship, with thanksgiving, being grateful for who God is, what he has done, what he will do, let your requests be made known to God. This is, this is the weird one. Let your requests be made known to God. I don't know about you, but do you have kind of like shame praying? You're like, God, can I, is it, all right, is it cool for me to ask this, Lord? Is it cool for me to ask this? So this week I was wrestling with this. You can come to me with your concerns. So I did, and it was freeing. And I said, okay, you said present my request, so what can I pray here? Should I pray the spiritual prayer? And God, whatever happens, I'm cool. Protect my heart. Yeah. But then I said, can you also help us win? (laughs) Present your request. Why can't I ask? I can ask. I can ask. Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 6, I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 6, he says this. Verses uh, 7 and 8. It's a couple things. Jesus says, When you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. So they're trying to use these magic prayers to get God's attention. He says, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Again, in chapter 7, verse 11, he says this. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven be able to give you what is good to those who ask? Now, does this mean that when you ask, he always says yes? The answer is no. <laughs> but he says you can present your request. Now, he might say the, the good thing that you actually need is for this not to happen. The good thing that you need is to grow through this adversity. If you say, God, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy a lotto ticket. I'm just asking, just asking if you could, like, make sure it's the right winning numbers. You can ask. He might say, the, the good thing for you is that you'd never win that. <laughs> the best thing for you is to lose. <laughs> but why do we think that God is afraid or is going to punish us for asking? God, I desperately want to see a family member accept the Lord. I desperately want to be healed of this sickness. I desperately want to uh, experience a, a financial freedom. I desperately want you to help us out of the situation we're in. We want this. Present your request. Present your request, knowing that God is good. He may not answer it the way you think you need, but he'll answer. And there's something very freeing about presenting your request. So even this week, on something as small as a baseball game, I presented my request. I made it very specific, and we did win. But, um, <laughs> but I think the situation wasn't God trying to help us win. It was, Ryan, I'm, I'm working on your heart. I'm working on your belief in who I really am. You preach about it, but do you really believe that I care about you? 
Come ask. And then I love the, res- the result is, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is the result. Now this peace of God that surpasses all understanding, he doesn't say I'll give you all understanding. Sometimes you may not actually understand why something happened, why it's going to happen, or, and, and how you're going to get through. But the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. I believe that we can have peace of God when we have peace with God. It begins there. And we have peace with God when we recognize who He is and who we are. And that He can be everything that we need. And so we can experience the peace of God. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. So don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The peace of God is not the peace that the world gives. The world gives peace that's based on a transaction. If you do this, you'll get peace. If you play your part, I'll play my part. The peace of God is one way. It's what he can do for you. And he says, I leave you and give you my peace. I don't know about you, but that is something that is very appealing. The peace of God. And he says it will guard your hearts and your minds. This is a word for this, uh, it, it means to a, a garrison of Roman soldiers is essentially what this word guard here means. So God will put essentially a, a garrison of soldiers around your heart and your mind protecting you. Putting up a protection around you. Your heart and your mind. What are the things that tend to struggle when you use worry as a staying place? It's your heart and your mind. It's your thoughts tearing you apart. It's it's your emotions, Your 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 kind of your countenance gets affected when we use worry as a staying place. But if we move from worry to a starting place for prayer, all of a sudden we can experience, and more and more we understand who God is, and in that moment, He protects our hearts and our minds. We feel that protection. He may not rescue you from your situation, but He gives you a peace and a confidence in that situation. That's something we can find nowhere else. And again, I want you to recognize that all of this relates back to that life in Christ. More of him, less of you. More of Jesus, less of you. Now, I need to say something for those of you who maybe are going through some pretty tough things, or you will face a tough road. We all face tough things. You're going to struggle falling back into worry over and over again about certain issues. It's natural, it's normal, you will. You may have to practice this a hundred times a day and say, oh yeah, God, go to you in prayer. Okay, I'm trying, I'm trying. This is a helpful tool to reorient your lives. But we also want you to know that some of you, and all of us in certain situations, are going to need somebody to walk with you. We're not asking you to just pray and then leave us alone. If you're going through something that's heavier than you can handle on your own, practice this. But the reason we want you in groups is because we don't want you to walk alone. Sometimes you just need someone who's going to put their arm around you and say, I'm here for you. I don't have the magic answers, the magic solutions. We don't want to be a church that just gives simple answers and say, well, you'll be all right. We want to walk with you. And so if you're in one of those situations, we say, this is just tough right now. Know that it is okay to bring it to the people in your group. If you're not in a group, we'd love to connect you and have people who walk with you, who are praying alongside you. 
who are reminding you of the good news that you're still loved, you're still cared for, God's still on his throne. But sometimes you just need someone to be there with you. That's okay. In fact, that's healthy. And I just want to make that disclaimer because we want you to know that this is just real practical stuff. And this is how we discover life in Christ with one another. Speaking the truth into each other's lives. Sharing the good news every day of what it means to have life in Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up. And as they make their way up, we're going to end with just a couple of songs here to close. And as we end, I want to give you some space just at the beginning. If you are here this morning and you say, I, I have been burdened, I have worried that keeps popping up. And maybe some of you are saying, and it's so small, it's superficial, I've been afraid to give it to God because it, doesn't, it shouldn't count. That I want you to just have some space for a couple minutes just to practice this and say, God, you know what? Praise you that you care. Praise you that you're here. I thank you that you've been faithful. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you know the future. And just practice this. For some of you, it's heavier things. And, and you're going to need to start that move from staying place to the starting place for prayer. And so I want to give you some space to do that. And I want to share one final verse with you as we get ready, as we prepare to sing these last two songs. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul is writing a, a benediction. It's a, a blessing for the, Roman, the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome. And he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning we need the God of hope to fill us with all joy and peace. And that's really what we've been looking at throughout the book of Philippians. is a God of hope that will fill us with all joy and peace in believing this, believing that we can abound in this hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's power is not leaving us alone. He's not leaving you to go through this. He's not leaving you out there to say, figure it out, grow up someday. The power of His Spirit can bring that hope and peace into our lives. So let's just take a moment as we sing these last two songs to, to practice going to God with our worries. And I want to invite you, when you're ready, stand up and join us in these last two songs here. God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you that you're the God of, of all things, including the little things. I thank you that when you look at our lives and, and the things that matter to us matter to you and Maybe your answers and solutions are, are different than what we're looking for, but we thank you that you care so much that you give us what we need. And God, I thank you that you never grow tired of us come to, coming to you, that your patience never ends, that your kindness never ceases, that, Lord, you're always there. And so this morning we thank you, and I pray that as we lay our burdens before you, God, both small and great, that none of these are so little you don't care or too big that you can't handle. And so this morning, Lord, would you lift these burdens from us as we learn to find all we need in you. And I pray this morning, God, that the peace that surpasses all understanding would guard our hearts and our minds. In Christ Jesus. So we give you this time and we respond with our hearts of praise. And thank you for this morning.